Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. I want to read to you this morning um, from, uh, from Romans chapter 2. And uh, I, I want to start in verse 17. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read it for you um, as we look to God's word. Verse 17 says this, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, and then, uh, and then who teach others, do you, do you t- not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision is indeed of value if you uh, obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Verse 27, then, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and the circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart. I'm sorry, it is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. God, I ask your blessing on your word as we look at it now. I ask that you would help us to understand and uh, as we understand it, that we would cling to you and your message of hope and truth. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So uh, we do a lot of things in this life to look good outwardly. Uh, most of you did some of those things this morning, I can tell. Uh, you uh, clean up pretty good, uh, and we do things uh, to hide the imperfections, and that's fine. The, the appearance thing is fine. But the picture here is outward. Uh, it's been outward as we look at Uh, the first chapter, and now the second chapter, it's all about that which people see, that which people see. In chapter one, you see outward sins. Uh, You see the sinful life that comes out of a life that doesn't acknowledge God, but rejects God. And you see those outward things, and those outward things tell you the reality of one's heart. Uh, It's kind of like the fruit, you know, how do you, how can you tell it's an apple tree? Well, the trained eye can tell because it looks like an apple tree, but you really know uh, that it's an apple tree when you see apples on it. Uh, And it shows what kind of fruit it bears. uh, And it tells what kind of tree it is. So first chapter of Romans is outward sins. 
and how one is lost because of those outward sins that reflect a heart that's rejected God. Now in chapter 2, this section specifically, I would say it's lost in outward performance. Lost in outward performance. And all of us can be tempted with this, especially if we've been around the Word of God or in churches or in religion. Uh, we can be lost in outward performance. It's interesting, a spiritual deadness inside, what does it produce? Outward sins. Um, and the, what are those outward sins? I tell you this, it's debauchery. It's all kinds of sins that could come out. They, they all kind of flood out and they show. But this morning, we're going to look at something that uh, a deadness inside can produce self-righteousness, self-righteousness. And this is uh, probably a greater danger for us here within the church than maybe chapter one on the sins that were listed there. And I just have a warning before we dive in. Uh, Some of us uh, think wrongly about our place before God. That this morning, even as you have come, uh, you have come and you, you think wrongly of who you are, but also who God is. We think that somehow we can impress God with something about us or something we have done. We, we say things like, well, I try to be my best. And uh, if somehow like that best would somehow impress God, the best, our best try would somehow impress God and that he would accept us based on our best. Um, and this morning, I just want to encourage us to follow the logic of Paul as he gives us uh, from God the message, uh, specifically to the Jews, but I think great application for us in the church here this morning, the danger of being deceived and have a false sense of security um, because of something outward, something outward. So with that in mind, uh, we will go to God's word starting in verse 17. So you look at verse 17, he's going to go down and uh, as I shared with you before, the last couple of sections, many have said we're transitioning to focus on Jews. It didn't say that, but this passage, this verse starts a whole section where he identifies these people, these hearers as Jews, okay? And so, which brings us to our first point, uh, the false security of heritage, Uh, really the perfect Jew or the religious one. Verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew. Now, now as you look at this and you say, well, I don't call myself a Jew. I don't call myself a Jew, but they did. And what were they saying when they called themselves a Jew? It was kind of a shortened name connected to Judah, one of the great tribes, really the greatest tribe of uh, the nation of Israel. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you know that uh, God called Abraham and out of him became this great nation of the chosen ones. And then you see at the end of the book of Genesis, uh, the, the 12 tribes coming about as 12 brothers and the unique, uh, it's so fascinating if you go through the the lineage, uh, Judah is not the firstborn, but I believe the fourthborn, yet by his father identified as the one who receives uh, the blessing of the firstborn, 
the one whom Jesus would come through. And so Judah is primary, and they would identify themselves as Jews connected to the tribe, connected to Israel, connected to Abraham, sons of Abraham. This was a huge deal. And I want to tell you, it's a huge deal today, today. Maybe not to you and me, maybe, maybe not to most of the people that we know, uh, but the Jews throughout the world, even today, even today, are identified as something special by God's own choosing from the book of Genesis. And so as you look at this, there's this false security of heritage. Uh, the, the Jewish person, the one uh, who is identified in this passage, it was something to be a Jew. It was something. And when he says, uh, but if you call yourself a Jew, that's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, if you call yourself a favored one of God, that, that when you say, I'm a Jew, uh, he's not just saying, that's my heritage, that's the people that I come from, the nation that I'm a part of. He's saying, I'm favored by God. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, where people have said to you, well, I'm a Jew. That's what they're saying. They're saying, I'm favored by God. I'm connected to Judah, part of the nation, part of the nation of Israel, connected to Abraham. I'm special in God's eyes. Because I'm a physical descendant of Abraham, I'm special. And we work this out, and really he's identifying this group of people uh, that would call themselves Jews, but would find their security in their heritage. Even though they're physical descendants of Abraham, it does not necessarily make them spiritual descendants. And there's an argument of that found in John chapter 8. You can look at it later. Jesus unpacks this. Uh, Once again, the Jewish descendants of Abraham, but marking, are you a spiritual descendant of Abraham? Now, I just want to back up away from the Jewishness of this passage, but what is your heritage? What are you? Uh, It's interesting, the rest of the world looks upon the United States of America and they say, oh, it's a Protestant nation. It's a Christian nation. They're Christians. And you might say, uh, you know, I'm connected because I'm an American. Uh, In some parts of our nation, you could Say, well, you were born into this church. You were born into that church because I'm a part of this group. I'm, I'm either Lutheran or Presbyterian or ba- Baptist or Catholic. Or the, the connection is what you were born into. And connected this morning, I want you to think it doesn't matter what you were, connected, you were born into. I mean, it does in a sense of maybe your training. But what we're talking about now is What do you find your security in? What makes you confident before a holy God? For this group of people, they uh, love the idea of being physical descendants of Abraham, a Jew. They called themselves. It's interesting. It's a self-identification. Most of the time we, you know, if somebody says, oh, tell me about yourself. What comes out next is the thing we want people to know most about us. Well, uh, this is my nationality, or this is my occupation, or this is the sport I love. I'm a golfer, or, you know, 
a badminton player or, or play horseshoes or um, video gamer, I guess, somebody. Um, the picture is a self-identification here as a Jew. So the first point is this morning, false security of heritage. Second point, uh, we see him go on false security because of scripture trivia. There's probably a better way to say that, but I wanted you to get, I wanted to say trivia because there are many people who study the scripture not to be transformed by it, but to fill their head with knowledge, to be smart. And I look at that and I always think of that game Trivial Pursuit. Um, Some of you are very good at that, which means that you know a lot of trivial things. It's the name of the game. Uh, But to think about that in terms of the eternal word of God, that it's just trivia to you, that you just want to get smarter, uh, you don't want to be changed, I think we've missed the point. But anyways, let's, let's go on. The false security because of scripture trivia. He goes on in verse 17 to say, and rely on the law and boast in God. I want to go through these uh, just one by one because he's going to list them out. And some of you will hear this and maybe you can connect it to Philippians 4, uh, 3 verses 4 through 6 where Paul goes through a similar list of his own life. Now remember this, that Paul was not a follower of Christ from birth in his family. He wasn't raised in that. In fact, quite the opposite. He was one of these Jews. Jews. He was one of these, like, zealous about it and, and wanted to reject Jesus over and over, reject his followers, persecute his followers. And in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about how that was all to be shoved aside as garbage. Really rougher words than that. Refuse. Um, and... Here he's giving this similar list or similar point uh, to these Jews that he's writing to in, in, the, in Rome, these Jews of Rome. Um, and he says, first of all, he says, you rely on or you rest on the law. The idea of resting on is the idea of you comfort yourself and say, I'm good because of this. Uh, and there is... A question here. I want you to think this through in the passage. When you worry about the world, uh, I, I would even say this. When you worry about dying, when you worry about dying, how do you go to sleep at night? How do you comfort yourself? How do you say, I'm going to be okay? Um, some of you say this. You say, oh, I'll never die. So you lie to yourself, you know, uh, you will die. Uh, it's, it's statistically proven that you're going to die. You know, the stats do not uh, bode well in our favor for us getting out of this life alive. And so what do you rest upon? What do you rely upon? What do you comfort yourself with? This is the whole idea of this passage is that this person or this type of person This is how they comfort themselves. And I want to encourage you, there is great comfort in the scripture. And I I would not just say comfort, but confidence. So he looks to this person, this one who calls himself a Jew, and then he goes on to talk about all that he knows about the law. And I say the scripture because uh, in Rome, even as the New Testament was being written, they were pointing back to the Old Testament. 
but they relied or rested upon the law. They boasted in God, meaning that as they looked about on those things, they boasted in their understanding of who God was. Verse 18, uh, verse 18 says, uh, chapter 2, it, it talks about this idea of uh, knowing the will of God, knowing the will of God. And so uh, in the Old Testament, even as we looked at in Daniel, but you look at the other prophets as well, and you see uh, what is God's heart, what is his will for his people? And they were saying, I know that, I know what his will is. And, and not only that, in verse 18, it says he knows the will, but approve what is excellent. There is the idea of discerning and saying, this is good and of God, this is not. To be able to make that distinction, to be a moral decider of what God sees as excellent. In verse 19, uh, it says this, I'm sorry, verse 18, it, it concludes this whole thought, because you're instructed from the law, instructed from the law. They went to the school, right? They read the book. They, they knew the rabbi's teachings. And as they knew the rabbi's teachings, they, there was this false security that would come into them, false confidence They were instructed in the law, verse 19. And if you are sure yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who walk in darkness. It's that this instruction also gave them this idea that they knew stuff and they could be a counselor in this dark world. They could be a a guide to those who couldn't see. This is what they were doing. And so as they were going through all the things that God had taught them, uh, he was giving, Paul was giving them, and they were going, oh, yeah, I think that. Oh, yeah, I think that too. Yeah, that too. And as they went through this list, they might have forgotten that Paul was saying, this is false security. This is not something to feel secure in. This is not something that gives you the confidence Guide to the blind, light, light in the dark. Not just that, uh, but it, he says this. Verse uh, 19 as well. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse 20. An instructor, an instructor of the foolish. Um, that means middle school teachers, right? That was a joke. No, it was this idea that they were correcting those who were acting in a foolish way. They were saying, I see your life. I see you're doing it all wrong. Listen to me. I'm going to teach you how to not be the fool that you are and displaying right now. So there was not just a sense of being understanding yourself, having this idea that it's personal, but it goes off to instruct those who need instructing, a guide to those who are walking in the dark, but also a corrector of those who are foolish. And then uh, he, he also says, a teacher of children, a teacher of children. At the end of verse 20, it says, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge, a knowledge and truth. And this word embodiment is interesting because it, 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 it's, it's kind of like the, the structure or a framework or kind of the outline of knowledge and truth. 
But what he didn't say there, and this word is used in another case for the same thing, it's the idea that this embodiment of truth and knowledge is an outline or structure of the knowledge and truth, but a counterfeit. It kind of looks like it. It kind of looks like knowledge and truth, but it's not, but it's not. Think about this. That we can have confidence of knowing a lot of things and even participating in a lot of things. Uh, The idea of being a teacher of children. uh, I I picture uh, taking the little ones and taking them through some kind of Old Testament Jewish board book, right? And walking them through and saying, oh, I know this about uh, God of the Old Testament. But he's saying all these things, you have all the, the framework of that or the outline of it, but not the real thing. Not the real thing. It's a counterfeit. Which goes back to point number two. What is it? It's the idea of false security because of scripture trivia. I know a lot about God. I know a lot about what it says in his word. But it's just a structure, a framework of knowledge and truth and outline. But in the end, a counterfeit. A counterfeit. Um, when you look at this, maybe a, a better word would be fake. Fake, right? Um, if I had some pills right here and they were the pills that you needed, and I said, here, these are the pills that you need. They're whatever they are, okay? Pick your favorite drug. And you say, oh, I need those. I'm sick. I, I'm gonna die without those. And I give them to you and you take them. And I said, They're kind of like that drug. They look like it. They look like it. They're the same shape as the drugs that you're supposed to have. They're not, but like, they're kind of like it. That's the picture here. And so the the idea of fake uh, knowledge, fake knowledge um, is not to be real security, right? It's the idea that the things that we're trusting in aren't real, and yet we find our security in them. Number three, I have four points this morning. You're not supposed to do that, but there they were. Um, third point, third point. Verse 21, false security of blind hypocrisy. False security of blind hypocrisy. Verse 21 says, and it's these are rapid fire. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You see, he points to that very important thing that um, teaching is an interesting thing. Some of you are teachers here. You've been, a te- you, you've been teachers in different settings. And how you do that, you've got to learn the material and then you teach the material. But, but the point here is not just teaching material, understanding material to teach. It's the idea of eating of the food that you need that you might give it to others. It's the same thing that you need is the same thing that you would give to others. So he says, you know, those of you who teach, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal, right? Uh, It's this picture of it's wrong to steal. You should preach against that. But if you think that it's wrong for them and not for you, do you see the hypocrisy there? 
Verse 22, you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? (laughs) You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? This idea that, uh, you know, I hate that. Give me those things. Um, Verse 23, you who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. Verse 24 says, uh, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The, the picture here is this, that uh, the Jews were meant to be, meant to be uh, a light to the nations. They were meant to be a billboard of God's goodness to the whole world, right? And, and, and the idea was that as God has taken care of his people, the Jews, that the whole world would see the Jews' response to a holy God and love him and follow him diligently, that they would be drawn, they would be drawn to the same God the Jews serve. You can see some great similarities to this in the New Testament. I thought of Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and uh, the Sermon on the Mount and just the amazing uh, picture there of God's people meant to be different. God's uh, people meant to help people who are walking in darkness walk in light. This is what was meant to be both in the nation of Israel but also in the church. Uh, God's people, we are meant to draw people in. And so what happens? Uh, this seeming spirituality uh, in reality is revealing hypocrisy. Revealing hypocrisy. Now, this is tough. This is tough. I want to stop here just for a moment. I hope you're getting the problem here. Uh, as God's people, as God's people, some of you have thought right now, you've said, I want to be a good testimony to an onlooking world. I want people to see the gospel as important and attractive because they see me attractive. They see me obeying God and loving him with my whole heart so they will see how perfect I am and they will want the God that I serve. What's the problem there? You got it, don't you? You say, well, uh, I better not show them very much. I better look for the things that look perfect that I can push those forward when privately I'm a mess. How do I do this? I want to tell you this is part of the grand theme of the book of Romans, uh, that we need grace, that we need grace. But you see, seemingly, seeming spirituality actually revealing hypocrisy. And what does an onlooking world look at Uh, the failure of the Jews, and I would say the failure of the church, what do they say? See, they're no better than we are. See, their God doesn't work. Uh, And which embodies verse 29 where it says, I'm sorry, sorry, verse uh, 28. uh, 24, like I said. (laughs) Pay attention. Uh, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because of you. So, so we look at this and we see this and it, it doesn't work and, and we, we struggle with this. And I mentioned earlier Sermon on the Mount and uh, the book of Matthew. 
And in uh, Matthew chapter 5, it says, uh, verse 27, it says, For you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman who with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that, that shows this hypocrisy, right? This idea that, yeah, outwardly I may look like I'm a pure man, but what happens in my heart? And, and it's in a section where he does this over and over again with different issues related to uh, the Ten Commandments. And you look at this and you say, it's an issue of the heart. It's not just about the way you, uh, people perceive you. It's not even the way you uh, portray yourself or, or show yourself. But it's truly what's going on in you. And so you see the false security of spiritual hypocrisy. Which brings us to our last point, number four, false security of the physical. And I would say this, worthless religion. Worthless religion. Verse 25 um, it talks about circumcision and then it goes back and forth between circumcision and uncircumcision. For the Jews, it was the peculiar mark for them, their males, their young uh, infants, that they were marked at birth, at birth, as this is going to be God's. This, is, this life is going to be God's. This family uh, represented here will be God's. It's his. And circumcision was meant to make them peculiar in the world. But, but this idea of something physical, something physical that we can have, a mark that we can do to our body or even a, a tattoo or something, it only says what happened in a moment. That's all it says. Um, and I, I think about the, the many things that can happen in a moment. We bear the scars uh, not of good decisions, but of bad. And, and this idea that says one moment in time, one thing that we have done, uh, it marks our life and makes uh, us confident that we can be secure. Um, let me unpack this and then we'll come, come back to it and conclude um, our time. So verse 25 says, for circumcision indeed is a value if... You obey the law. Um, the physical mark and the idea of someone obeying the law, even more so the lawgiver, right? Following after God's law, um, that is a value. Verse 25, but if you break the law, your cir- circumcision becomes uncircumcision. It's the idea that that physical thing that you have done is negated by the the life that you live or the things that you have not obeyed God in. Verse 26. So if a man is un, who is uncircumcised, one that's not part of, is not a Jew, not one that has um, been marked by family or heritage, keeps the precepts of the law, so he's uncircumcised, but he keeps the precepts of the law, uh, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Will he not look like, will he not be marked as a follower of God? And this gets confusing, right? It, it's hard for us to, to and I'm, I, I'm amazed and uh, I imagine when this Roman church, these Jews who thought that they were great, when they're reading this, 
I just imagine them, you know, rolling it out and reading it. And all of a sudden, minds explode, right? They go, no, this can't be true. This isn't the way I was taught. Mind's blown. And he uh, gives us a taste of what we're going to see in the rest of the book of Romans, verse 27. He says, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have uh, the written code and the circumcision but break the law. Those are the ones that are going to point it out to you. Verse 28 Uh, For no one who is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. What is the real Jew then? Verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So the picture here is that uh, these Old Testament followers uh, who are Jews, they would say, it's, you know, it's my heritage. It's what I know about the Old Testament. I've been taught and I've been a teacher, both of the little ones and the fools. I, I, I'm one who knows this stuff. And, and I've even been circumcised or circumcised my children, my sons. I, I've done all this. And this is what I place my security in. And as he comes to the end, he says, your physical security, that thing that you have done, does not make you a Jew, does not make you a follower, a favored one of God. It's merely something outward. Uh, But that which marks a person as God's is what? It's a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Not by the letter. Um. And then it says of this one, this one that is uh, God's or the favored one, a Jew inwardly, it says, it ends this section or this chapter, his praise is not from man, but from God. Brings up an interesting point as a lot of those outward things, you can get praise from men. You can get praise, you can get awards, you can get recognition uh, we were laughing at the house last night. We were going through some pictures that I had on my computer and on my phone. And uh, there were all these awards assemblies, you know, these awards assemblies. And how kids stand up there with an award for whatever, you know, give out awards for all kinds of different things. And we've got them. They're super important to us. They're somewhere out in the garage or something. Um, but... Uh, I remember one particular time, Caleb, uh, we were in Petaluma, and life was a little rough for us there. We were a little, you know, chaotic at our household and stuff. So he missed quite a bit of school, and uh, he was late quite a few days. And they were at awards assembly, and I don't know what happened, but he got the award for perfect attendance. And he's standing up there like this with just this confused look on his face. You know, some kid didn't get their award because my son did. Um, we look at these and, and much of our lives are lived looking for the praise of men, looking for the security from people that say, you're, you're good, you're good. I, I acknowledge that you are good. But the, the praise or the acknowledgement 
that comes from an inward heart that's right with God. That's the approval of God, not from man. Man will not decide if we're right with God. God will decide whether we're right with him. I want to conclude our time this morning, and, and I, want to, uh, I want to just, first of all, this is a commercial to come back. Uh, the book of Romans is going to solve these problems for us. I, this, is, uh, this passage in and of itself is kind of agitating to the soul, right? It's kind of like, ugh, you know, where are the answers? Well, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned to the next chapters. Uh, I, I want you to get this, and I want you to remember uh, these Things and, and I want to give you some thoughts as we conclude. Three thoughts. First of all, maybe in our mind we say, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Is that true? I'm good enough. I'm good enough. As I ask that, as I think that through, many times we comfort ourselves with that. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. And then we start walking out. Well, I, I do my best, you know. And oh, well, I'm not as bad as my brother. You should meet my brother. You, you should see my neighbor, my cousins. You should see my dad. I'm pretty good compared to you know refined over the generations. Uh, I'm good enough. I want to tell you as you look at these first two chapters, the only conclusion that you can come to, and it's going to come in chapter three as well. I'm guilty enough. I'm guilty enough. It's not that I'm good enough. I'm guilty enough. Think about that. Um, As you look at these things, I know we're always trying to explain away things that don't fit into our story or, you know, into our mind. Explain it away. But the only conclusion you can come in these first couple of chapters is I'm guilty enough, not I'm good enough. Second thing I would tell you is, uh, it's a question. It's, a, um, it's been on tracks. You've seen it. Uh, I grew up with it. Why should God let you into heaven? As I look at this particular section, I, I think about it and I just go, this is kind of how this particular person would answer this question. Why should God allow you into heaven? First answer would be, I'm a Jew. I am your favored person. Maybe others would say it differently. They would say, I'm a Baptist. I'm Catholic. Been confirmed. I've taken my first communion. Gone through this school or that school. I'm Lutheran. This is the synod I'm a part of, right? This is where I'm connected. This is where I'm, uh, my membership is. I'm a Jew. Or they might answer, I know all about the Bible. I know all about the Bible. I'm really good at Bible trivia. Yeah, I can tell you the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Even those couple that split off and stuff like that. I can, I can explain that to you. I can tell you what I've done. I've I've taught, you know, I've taught in one of these churches that I mentioned earlier. I've taught people. Why should God let you into heaven? He says, oh, I got it. Been circumcised. 
uh, a family, family that we followed those things. I've been baptized. I've been baptized. I, I take communion. I took communion. I, I take communion. In fact, I take it every month. I don't go to church every week, but like the first Sunday of the month, I am there. That's why you should let me into heaven. Do you see this isn't making much sense? Why should God let you into heaven? Thirdly, I just summarize by saying this. We are hopeless apart from Jesus. We're hopeless. I want to point something out to you. Look at that passage we just went through. Where is Jesus in that passage? Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. And what I would say to the person he is talking to in their life, where is Jesus? Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. The book of Romans is going to reiterate over and over again our hopelessness in our sins apart from Jesus. And the grace and the grace alone that will be the only thing that will save you for eternity. This is the message of Romans, but still come back, still come back in the weeks ahead. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, God, I do ask that you would help us to understand uh, the desperate state of our soul apart from you and also the riches that can be found in Jesus, that we can have life eternal, we can be secure with you. God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for each one here. Pray that good stuff's going on in the fellowship hall with Dennis and Debbie. And God, I just thank you for the little ones that are spread out throughout this campus. And God, let us not be a place that is outwardly spiritual and inwardly dead. May our spirits be alive because of Jesus, that the issues of our heart would be resolved before you, the guilt of the sins that we have committed, that it would be Uh, taken care of, not because of what we have done, but because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. That's in his name we pray, amen.